Hello, 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 podcast fans. It is Andrew Bray here with your favorite podcast host, my mother. Hi, Barbara. Hi, son. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we always have fun together. It's, it's, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some people tell me now that they love listening to the beginning just to hear the two of us giggle together. Okay. Well, we could try a serious version if you'd like. No. <laughs> So one of the things that is very serious is that you did not get to go to all of the fun in Louisville this year. And that stinks because it sounds like it's this amazing educational conference, um, which means that you didn't get to see um, one of the dear people that we get to have a conversation with soon. So tell me a little bit about this wonderful person. Oh, Elliot Washer. I've known Elliot for years. In fact, I actually interviewed him a long time ago. I Gosh, I can't even remember now how long, 2015, I think. And he's the one that said all learning is personal. And he was right. Everything he's done has been right on. And he wrote Leaving to Learn 10 years ago. And it is amazing some of the things that he's done with his company, Big Picture Learning, and how he's changed, uh, transformed so much. In fact, when I was at um, South by Southwest in March, they put on this amazing dance party and everything. And I was able to be there and see them and see everyone. So it was great. No, but he's got a new book. It's called Learning to Leave. And so we oh. talk about that and this whole idea of looking at how the system is keeping you from being who you could be. You. The, the person who needs to really be able to approach learning as something that's going to help them grow instead of someone saying, we'll do it for you. You, you can follow this way or be compliant and then you can do school. Now, well, he doesn't do that. And I love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we, we've had a great conversation. I can't wait for people to have time with us on our virtual porch together because he's amazing. Okay. Well, everybody sit back, get in your rocking chairs and your virtual porch for a conversation with Barbara Bray and Elliot Washer. Hi, everyone. This is Barbara. I have a really good friend I've known for many, many years. I'm so excited that he's here. Elliot Washer. Elliot. How you doing, everybody? I'm glad you're here. Elliot, I just, um, I'm really excited about our talk. I I love that um, we have this time together. And uh, I'm going to, I want to introduce you to my audience. Sound okay? Sure. <laughs> Let's go. I'm ready. I'm right here. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Elliot Washer is a co-founder of the Big Picture Learning and co-author of Leaving to Learn. You know, I still find it hard to believe that it was released 10 years ago. I remember when I got it. 10 years ago, is right? Yeah. Well, Leaving to Learn was was definitely 10 years ago. And this, the story of uh, learning to leave is uh, one where uh, one of our co-executive directors, Andrew Frischman, and I were at a meeting with um, people from American Student Assistance and uh, 
Andrew opened up his mouth and said, you know, it's been uh, 10 years since Leave Him to Learn came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gene Eddy, who's the executive director of American Student Assistance, was at that time uh, uh, writing a book and about work-based learning. And uh, Andrew said, you know, 10 years, why don't you write an update around uh, Leave Him to Learn and uh, of all the things that have happened over those 10 years? And it connects to Gene's book around work-based learning and in all different uh, ways, shapes, and forms to uh, place-based real-world learning. And uh, I said, oh, okay, sure. (laughs) And they said, well, her book is coming out in four months. You got to have it done by then. It was December. That was April. And we did it. So we wrote this book in four months, but not really because I write every week and I had people um, whose stories are in here supporting the book and the work that we've done at uh, Big Picture over these 10 years. And now we're almost 30 years old. So, and Dennis and I go back 20 years before that plus. Wow. So there's been here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we just shared all that about your book and I can't wait to tell more because, I mean, I read uh, Leaving to Learn and, and I still think people should read that book too. I I think it's, it, it has so much in it that it kind of leads into learning to leave and we're going to talk more about it. But it right. Do you think I come up with a better title? Just flipping the words around, but that's who <laughs> I am. And, and, and there's really something to it. You know, I mean, leaving to learn was about um, uh, student engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really started off with uh, uh, getting called up by the feds and them saying, we just did a report around why students uh, drop, leave school, drop out, get pushed out. And we came up with four things. And the four things were uh, behavior, mm. disinterest, uh, absenteeism, life events. Mm. I said to myself, you know, that's all about blaming the it students. Sure is. And and what about the system? Doesn't the system and my one of my mentors, Seymour Saracen, always used to say to me, nothing's going to change until the system looks itself in the mirror and says, we met the enemy and it's us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I once again, I flipped those things and said, well, it's really that the system doesn't fit students. Mm. Things don't matter to them. Their interests, mm. they're not paying attention to. And there's so many restrictions now on students, their mobility and what they think. And people use that term learner agency. Well, you lose your agency when you go into a school. You don't gain agency when you go into Mm -hmm. a school. Because agency means you're responsible for your actions. And if you're doing somebody else's work, you're certainly not responsible for your own actions. So anyhow, um, that was the last book. And how to increase student engagement. And how to uh, minimize uh, people leaving school. Well, over 10 years, nothing really happened to make changes. Well, we've made changes and others have made changes, but the system still has not changed. The system's still putting the onus on the student and not itself. So learning to leave was a way of saying, how do we move into the real world around this work and, and credit real world learning? which we've done at Big Picture since we started the Met, our first school, almost 30 years ago, 28 
years, I believe. It's amazing. I mean, I've known you for some time, but I also worked at one of the med schools in Oakland. So mm-hmm. I that saw way. those kids. I knew they were kids that were like misfits and needed help. And they were, um, they worked in the community. They had mentors. They, it was amazing. And I wish I could follow and see where they are now. Cause they were, that was a long time ago. Right. Well, it's, it's appropriate or apropos that you use the word misfit because the way I really feel about it is that everybody's misfit in mm-hmm. this system around a, a standard um, where we have so much variability and so much beauty in our individual individuality and how we fit into community. And schools don't capture that. You have to meet their fit yeah. and they don't reach out to fit each and every young person, which they could for sure, but they don't. Um, and uh, and there's a lot written on this around people with all sorts of disabilities. And, you know, the way to think about it, one way, of course, is uh, just getting across the street. Yeah. You know, when I came to California and I saw these big streets and trying to get across them, you know, if you're old or if you're, you know, got a busted leg or you're in a wheelchair or you got visual problems. Uh, how, do, how do they create a standard? Well, the standard is the pedestrian has the right of way, supposedly. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the data, there's still more accidents. So the system is not paying attention to the pedestrian having the right of way or the young person having the right of way on their journey through life. I just thought about that. I really that like that. I mean, I do too. I'm going to write that this down week. because, well, the thing that's really fun, Elliot, is that you're recording this, right? So we got we this. Got it. We got right it. Right yeah. Right. The other yeah. thing is, I was going to do an introduction, but I like this better. This is so nice because we're actually going right into your book and right into all the work you're doing. What I like about your book, you know, Learning to Leave, is, is that it's time, it was time to go deep, deep as well as broad, a kind of on what's happening with our kids. And it, it's like, for me, reading it, what I loved about it, and we, I, I didn't know we were going to go right into the book, but I just love this anyway, because um, we're going to go into it a little deeper a little later. But what I loved is you put in so many good stories, and I cannot wait. I want to tease the audience just a little bit, because I want to kind of grab you back a little bit, and um, because I want you to hear some of the stories, and I, I want them to kind of feel why they need to read this book. It's It's one that I feel... It's so necessary now because what's happened is our system is it, it, we're actually going backwards in some places. And it, if we don't figure out what's wrong, we're going to lose our kids. We need it now. We are. Either they're walking with their feet and their families may be walking as well, but they're bored as they get older and we get and we disengage them more. And we put more restrictions on them about the foods that they're eating, the time that they got to get up and not get enough sleep, restrictions on their movement, mm-hmm. have developing healthy relationships and having the time to do that with the adults in the building as well as with the young people and getting them out mm. 
to pursue their interests. So they gain an understanding of who they are, learning through their practices and interests, as well as learning through a relationship. We're going to keep getting the same results, and they're not very good at all, unfortunately. So on that note, I always ask everyone in my podcast what their why is, but I think you just said it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're, it's funny because there are many, many whys that we all have, uh, really not just one. And each one is a story really of, of where we come from, where we've been, who we know, who we are. Uh, about our uh, the, what gives our life um, meaning. And each time as you get older or look back or look ahead, those stories those stories can change, but the, but the, those whys remain the same. You know, I grew up in Brooklyn, uh, five blocks from Ebbets Field. I actually met Jackie Robinson, oh, Shirley Chisholm, my congresswoman, <laughs> you know, I mean... Those kinds of things, and the story in the book about this is that um, I had access to people that nobody would think a kid who's from an area that's pretty poor area, very poor, would have access to. Uh, Of course, my uncle, who owned a candy store cigar newspaper stand in what was once the tallest building in New York City, which housed all the agents for all the athletes and uh, Broadway movie stars, and I would go visit them on the train from Brooklyn into Tenney's 40th Street, across the street from the New York Public Library. And, uh, you know, there's a picture in the book, I could get it, that shows my uncles in the cigar stand, um, candy store stand, looking. uh, And when I went there, I would meet those uh, people. Oh, so when I went to school, here they are. Now we'll have to take a picture of that and put it on the blog, on the post. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Then well, the when I went there, I would, I, would meet, <laughs> I would meet Jack Dempsey, or I would meet you know Debbie Reynolds, or Eddie Fisher, or this person, that person, <laughs> and I would always go back to my neighborhood or to school and say, you know, I met so-and-so and they go really I go, yeah you can get access to people and um and i learned that very very early on that um who you know and who knows you know what mm-hmm. you know becomes real real important my uncle had a one of my uncles had a third grade education but he every saturday he would take me all over new york city um to places of interest and i would meet more people so i learned out in the real world. And uh, the, his brother, who was next to him, Harold, who was my uncle by marriage, um, when he was born, he had tuberculosis and they did some weird surgeries on him and he never oh. grew. Stayed, remained tiny, small, <gasps> and hunched over, hard to look at in many ways. And we'd go visit him uh, at in Coney Island because he'd hang out in Coney Island in the what were the sideshows back then? Those were his mm-hmm. friends. So I I grew up with people missing arms, legs, parts of their face from the war, mm-hmm. and and they were they were in these uh, places where they hung out together, and we'd go visit them. 
the interesting thing about Harold, one of the interesting things was he went to a school called Westinghouse High School, where you, which was a vocational school where you went if they didn't want to look at you. And you were put there for all kinds of reasons, physical, behavioral, whatever. And just so happens that Harold had a lot of time on his hands and he actually graduated college because he had time on his hands and that was his interest. He was really an academic in so many ways. Well, you fast forward into the late 80s, early 90s. And at the same school, there's Busta Rhymes, Biggie Small, Little Kim and Jay-Z. And and they were not put there for their musical ability. Um, And I was told and I researched that three out of the four never made it through school. And then I was told by somebody who was their principal as I gave a talk that four out of the four, none of them finished high school Hmm. at that time. And so you got to say, what are we doing with young people when we're not once again? recognizing their talents, but putting them in places uh, where they're having experiences, and I would say traumatic experiences, that are saying, um, we're putting you here, but this is not who you are. And you're in a system that say, you're saying, this is who I am, and they're not recognizing that, and they're saying, this is who you are, and this is why you're here. So you leave. I mean, that's it, it makes sense mm-hmm. to leave. It's unfortunate. And that's the system that we have. So when you say the whys, there's probably six or eight or ten whys mm-hmm. in there uh, of why do this work and why it's so important. And the place I did find solace was in parks uh, because parks were learning experiences. And the park, the real name for a park is the park experience, mm-hmm. not just park. Frederick Olmsted, I went to, I, I basically lived in Prospect Park, uh, and Frederick Olmsted designed it, and he designed it with three principles that we use to design our schools when we have the opportunity to build them, and they are prospect, mystery, and refuge. Prospect means you can see out. Refuge means that you can hide away, and mystery means that there's curves in the road, no straight lines. Oh, wow. And And that's almost the antithesis of how schools are built because they're built by the same people who build prisons and cruise ships where they want to have this kind of visibility and this what they would consider transparency and I would consider control. See everything. So the park was this place where there was music, there was storytelling, there was science, there was gardening, there there were animals running around there were insects there's all kinds of things that you could get into and involved in get your hands dirty literally and figuratively with the people in the park where there was this cultural milieu and you could just observe you could participate it was all up to you that's a learning experience why aren't schools more like parks is one of the questions another one of those whys um that is uh prominent in both books Oh, I like all this. I'm writing them all down. I'm just so excited. <laughs> I love parks. I live near Oakland Zoo. And There's a reason well, you love them. It's a conservation zoo. So they're growing. Yeah. They're, they actually raise buffaloes there to actually send them back 
to to the I don't say reservations, but to the areas where they used to be. And so that's one of the one of the animals that they're trying to bring back. And I'm just thinking we should be bringing back <laughs> the parks and all of the things you just mentioned. It's yeah, well, they're, they're there, and they're, and they're and I think I really believe that parks are these amazing places that people are starting to take advantage of, and there's more, there's so much more learning that can happen there, and that brings up the the three M's that you mentioned to me about that I put in the book: mingling with, uh, muddling through problems <laughs> that matter to you, and oh, uh, and those three M's are are a, a good uh, segue into thinking about what happens in the real world and what should be happening both in and outside of school. Uh, With and want or big loom large in the book as new ways. Those three M's are new ways. Uh, And if you, you have to have new ways of thinking about these things. And that's why the book focuses not on the word re-imagine or re-form or re-think or re-whatever. Because, or redesign, just think, just design, just imagine, and and do it with a blank slate, or, or as closer to a blank slate, but not on the foundation that you retest. You're testing on the same things. <laughs> Don't want to do that. If you reform the same thing, you're going to start from the same place, as if you're assuming that that's a good place to start, and it's really not. So... Hence, pushing people to think about new rather than read. See, I you mentioned that in the book, but you mentioned it to me before when we talked. And um, I've been trying to transform schools and did some of this myself. And one of the things I did in um, one the Oakland schools is we didn't have the teachers um, put anything on the walls or put design the classroom, we had all the chairs, everything in the middle. And we said to the kids, how would you like it? What would you, what would you like? And they're all like, what? (laughs) Sixth graders. And they loved it. It was so much fun. They got, they owned it. They owned it. Yeah, no, there's a quote and a phrase. We create our environment and then our environment creates us. Um, Is that your quote? No, I think it's Winston Churchill. Ah, okay. But uh, I, I think that's why I didn't. I don't know who exactly said. I'm pretty sure it was Winston Churchill. But it's an important way of of uh, playing with these notions that um, you have to have. And there are many, many new ways. They're not new, but they're new to schools. Uh, and I'll give you a couple more. For examples, one is you can go to any vision statement in a school or a, the system. State Department of Education, and it always says, no one be able to do. That's abstract to concrete. The way we really learn is do and be able to know as well, and even more so. And yet we don't allow young people to touch things, to have a sentient feel, a tactile feel, and then we expect them to know. And when they say they're lost, they're lost in abstraction because they're not bringing anything to the page. Mm. That's what's important. You have to bring your experiences to the page. Another one we talked about that's in the book is we always say teaching and learning. It was Caleb Getenu, who was an Egyptian educator, very famous, who said teaching is subordinate Mm -hmm. to learning. 
we go learning and teaching, doing and knowing. We have to have those flips. If we don't, we're going to end up in the re-land rather than in the new land. And that's what's important here, to really take a look about things like with and want. You have to be with people you want to learn from. And schools are notorious about it doesn't matter. We're putting somebody who's a standard teacher in front yeah. of you. They're teaching the content. Well, we're teaching students, not content. There's a very big difference. And they're learning from us. And it's it should be driven, the learning, by the student. Mm. You have to ask, what are you interested in now? Not what your career is going to be. What are you interested in now? Those are the things that lead to meaningful work later on. And you have to explore those things with people you want to be with who have some built-in caring and compassion for who you are. That's another thing we don't do in teacher training, still a teacher professional development in or pre-service. Um, we don't pay attention to caring and compassion. Neither does medicine. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a problem. Our systems are built around standards that are technical standards, not human. Well, it's standards. also built around time. If I'm, mm -hmm. you know, doing something with the medical, uh, uh, you know, the medical environment and they only have so much time for you, but you need more time when you have some issue and you need to be able to talk about it and they don't have the time because there's another one. And the same thing with schools, you know? You're absolutely right. It's one of the major pieces of control in our lives and we don't even realize it is the the people who control our yeah. time and it's very very subtle and it's always been there and it it is power and control when you work with people around time in schools it looks like carnegie units yeah. you have to learn a certain content or really be taught by a teacher a content, whether you learn it or not, in a certain amount of time, get a certain yeah. grade for it. Then it's off, yeah. over and done. But that's not how no. you learn. That's a that's a mechanized industrial way of doing things. And I would argue we're still doing the same thing, except in a digital mm -hmm. way. So as we change what the clock looks like, it's not an hourglass anymore. It's not a timepiece or a watch. It's a digital time and it's an atomic time and it's down to the micro milliseconds or whatever they are. And then we expect young people to perform as if they're widgets, not as if they're really, if the learning really matters to them and the people who they're with really matters to them across race, class, gender, which are issues of our day right now and have always been issues, but they're just way more pronounced and uplifted that we're still paying attention to in a system that won't allow young people to pay attention to who they're with. Okay. And that matters. Okay. I love this. I mean, I always tell everyone you're on my virtual porch and I was going to go in a different direction, but I think the best thing is Go in your direction. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I love this. This is because um, do you know that my podcast is called Rethinking Learning? So maybe, gotta, oh, sorry so maybe I need to take the re off and make it new thinking of learning. 
It's a provocation. <laughs> People can do whatever they want. It's a provocation to think new ways. And if you have new ways, you got to have new yeah. forms. Have new forms, you got to have new measures. So we give examples of the new mm-hmm. ways. Some. The new forms that come out of yeah. the new ways, like Be Unbound, which is big picture learning without a school, or Harbor Freight Fellows, which elevates the skilled trades in, a, in an intellectual and in a cognitive way that broadens out how we are smart. And then with that, you have to have new measures, which is the international big picture learning credential, which measures how you are smart way more than a standardized narrow band of academic pieces that people say, these are things that you need to get into a college, when actually that's not necessarily so at all. It's just a way, a lot of times, of once again, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. It has nothing to do with what you know in a lot of ways, or who, but it does have to do with who knows you know what you know in advancement of career. You know, it's amazing because you and I've been talking a little before and you mentioned some things and I'm sitting here going, I really want to talk about this because you mentioned that you went to the school that Mae West went to, the high school. Went to Erasmus, 6,000 students in oh our high gosh. school. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and she left school. And when I was there, 750 out of, I think, 1,500 in my graduating class or 1,200 in the graduating class. I, I, I can get the figures, but I don't have them off the top of my head. Seven, 700 students or 600 students did not graduate, and it was considered a good school. So I fast forward to the 90s again, and I look at the school. And in the 90s, out of 6,000 students going, and that means, you know, you have about less than 2,000 students in a class because the ninth grade was was never the full class. People were coming from middle schools and other, other parts, other schools, that only 181 students graduated out of about 1,500. What? That's crazy. Right. And then it was our school, Erasmus, and and it wasn't considered a good a, a good educational institution anymore, as well as um, uh, uh, quite a few of the other schools in Brooklyn had even lower numbers than we did. And then they busted schools up into small schools, but they didn't do it. They kept the economy of scale of large schools in small schools. When you bust the school up into small schools, there's a different economy of scale and culture and how you do the work. And people really didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. And they they didn't consider it a really good idea. And it was a good idea. They didn't know how to implement yeah. it in the best possible ways. So, yep, these are, the, the you anybody can look up that data if they want to get it more accurate. But our system not our kids, is failing our young people, their families and communities. And they are they are the piece that has to really change. There's nothing wrong with the young person. There's something wrong system. with the system. It's our, it's our job to make sure that each young person is cared for in a compassionate way around who they are 
all the pieces of who they are as a whole. And that includes following their interests and getting them out of school so they can pursue those interests and people can get to know them, just like in wealthier places. Mm -hmm. In and outside of school, young people are given those opportunities around travel and around internships and around family connections and all those things. And the same thing has to apply for young people. That's why we've done our work at the Met and the schools that we have in big picture. The learning plan for every student, getting students out two days a week around their interests, making sure that they're engaged and want to learn how to read better, how to do mathematics better, which we call communication, empirical reasoning, quantitative reasoning mathematics. So because they have to be applied, academics need an application, not just an abstraction. But I mean, I've seen big picture in action. So I, but I saw it long ago. Has it changed since, you know, like, are there new, you you said that about this credential, I mean, there's a, is a certificate. Yeah. So what we did is that we have schools, 55 schools in Australia, and this work came out of the work of Viv White who, and her colleagues in Australia who are running, operating big picture schools there. What Viv did, I think, uh, really moves us in terms of performance, measures and assessment, competency, proficiency, whatever language there is to that. In our in the United States, it's always been anywhere, anytime. Well, it's not anywhere. It's always tied to school, and it's and, and hardly are young people uh, credited with learning that happens outside of school. It's not anywhere, like I said, not any time. Mm-hmm. It's in, in the hours of the school day. And the thing they left out is the many ways that you're smart, and unless you credit the many ways, yeah, somebody is smart. Uh, from their community to their culture to their family to their all their senses you're not going to get a a, as as people in the system say a portrait of a of someone their journey so you have to do that and the ibplc the international big picture learning credential viv took our learning goals, which are academics that are applied, as well as personal qualities. And Sandra Milligan, Milligan who is the um, psychometrician from the University of Melbourne, added knowing how to learn. Um, and we created, a, a each student creates their own profile, their own stackable credentials, their own story. And with our learning goals or learning frames, uh, across within the school with advisor teachers who know the students well and across schools they developed an algorithm and that algorithm gets better and better when more students get in it and more teachers learn the system about how to do this work around looking at the work of students and making a judgment where their self-assessment is included and mentor judgment is also included. Mm. And lo and behold, students who normally wouldn't have gotten into colleges in, at medicine, law, architecture, and engineering got in. Students who uh, were Aboriginal, students who were refugee, students who were 
uh, not from the middle and upper classes. And they did well and they stayed in. So that algorithm at a university, which was warranted by the university, got them into colleges without their GPA, a GPA, or what they would they call an ATAR, we call an SAT. And a, a third party researchers looked at the work, evaluators, and said, lo and behold, this is working. Wow. So we brought it to the United States over the last 18 months in California, New York, and Washington State. And we've had some graduates, and we're getting the same results. So what we need to do and what we're trying to do is bring this as a way to get young people admitted to colleges that show how they are smart in a much broader context of getting to work, getting to technical schools. And uh, we're getting some traction. People are starting to listen. Mm-hmm. The most important thing is that it, the practice is helping people, is pushing people to look at measures differently the way they want to. So the actual, it's not the theory, it's the practice that's pushing the theory, pushing on the theory rather than theory pushing on the practice. So now we do have anywhere, anytime, and in many ways you're smart. Now, Now, a lot of people can take that and play with that, do their own thing, get it better, or maybe this is a thing that evolves and gets better. I, I don't know the answer to that, or, but uh, I'm just glad that Viv did the work and we were part contributors to it. I think she's on to something. They're on to something now. Oh, yeah. This is this is amazing. And you mm-hmm. said California. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to tell me if there's any near me because I want to go visit them. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. That'll be really that. cool. It's in Northern California. Oh, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, you know, it's amazing. We covered everything we were going to say, but in all different way than I expected, only because... What else is new if you put the two of us together? Oh, I don't know. what. what <laughs> <laughs> That's going to happen. Oh, well, you know, every time we see each other at a conference or something, we just want to talk, talk, talk. But it's that, yeah. what's so cool is that You've never um, stopped doing this. This is, it's like it's grown and it's, it's gotten better. And the thing is now you have evidence of it working. You've always had evidence of it working, but now it's growing. And I, I just, like I, I said, the right from the beginning, when we talked about your new book, uh, Learning to Leave, you know, it says that you're the founder or the co-founder of Unbound or Be Unbound. Be unbound. unbound. You know, I didn't. I didn't even ask you about that. Yeah. Well, so it's a it's a great story unto itself. Years ago, I worked with um, a friend, Chase Stewart, who worked with us, and um, he was running for mayor in Brockton and uh, Massachusetts. And we had always had this idea of doing big picture without a school what would that look like to reach more young people Mm -hmm. so you didn't necessarily have to go to a big picture school you could go to after school youth development organization any school could pick it up if they wanted to 
boys and girls clubs. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter. And so we we worked with almost the entire city, did a lot of due diligence work and came up with this program and called it a whole bunch of different names and and went to the governor uh, of Massachusetts, former governor, Deval Patrick, and uh, others. And unfortunately, it didn't get funded for years, but it sat there. And a lot of times you start work and it, it doesn't really, it's there and it doesn't go anywhere. Well, uh, a friend now named uh, Pam Roy uh, called me up and said, I have a whole bunch of films, but I don't just want to do a film and not have it go anywhere. And I said, here, we wrote this up. You can have it. And it was it was called at that time uh, Outlearners. Because mm. uh, Outlearners outlearn when they're outlearning. That was the slogan. And she called me back two hours later and said, uh, uh, and Kate Robinson, uh, Sir, Sir Ken's daughter said for us to connect. Uh, and Kay, Sir Ken was a friend and had passed mm. away. Was working with Pam. So she called back and said, this is great. Um, I, I want you to do this. And I said, no, I'm too busy. And she says, no, 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 do it. And well, you do it. I'm giving it to you. She said, no, 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 I don't know. You know, I don't have the time. And this is not my, I, I'm not an implementer. I, I do film and I do writing and mm. So we agreed that uh, we had big picture and it's always, you know, co-founder is a funny word because in the, even in the book, we are all contributors in the book. There's a lot of people involved in this. So Pam and I started Beyond Bound with Antoinette uh, Pena. And we have uh, about 20 sites around the country now and some around the world. One in uh, Kenya, starting in uh, also in Australia. And what it is, is big picture learning without a school where young people who are many times disengaged in school come to a place and we get them connected to adults around their interests and get them into affinity groups. And we have a technology platform called Emblaze, which manages um, uh, interest-based internship experiences when students in school are out of school and we we white labeled in blaze be unbound because there's less restrictions outside of school than inside and it's starting to take off so we have some really uh, good places one of the places that Antoinette was this week was habitat for aviation in vermont which is part of our work where um, beth white who's part of harbor freight fellows but in a, in a in a sometimes somewhat more specific genre of um, aviation mechanics, and a spe- it was specified in electric planes because she has a partnership with Beta Technologies that builds electric planes in Vermont, and it's a place where young people go and uh, get uh, connected to adults who build electric planes and the mechanics and get their certifications and get to work get to technical colleges or want to become pilots, but it's that type of place. So Antoinette was just there developing this habitat for aviation in Vermont. And there's a, there's a a lot more to it than that. And it's just some very exciting work happening, but that's just one of many examples. I can't believe all you do. I just can't believe this. You know what? 
I have you back. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll come back. We can discuss this book and, and more. And this is uh, Pam's new book. Pam wrote a book specifically for parents around this work that we do with with being bound and finding meaning in your life called parenting from the passenger seat so you can have pam on and i'll i'll i can jump yeah. in or we can do one together. Wonderful. so this just came out, about to come out okay i'm going to write that down and we'll put a link to it too you know the thing is, I want people to read your book. I want them to follow Big Picture and now be unbound. There are schools out there that want this. I know they do. I know they, they and they may not be able to bring in Big Picture, but if there's this be unbound, there might be yeah. so much. And, uh, David Berg is, and, and uh, Lexi and Wilson are running in blaze. Mm. They're reaching schools beyond big picture schools uh, all over the country and getting real good results about getting students wow. out, connecting to adults around their interests, and then developing those who knows you know what you know, the Abbott and Costello thing. Well, we they said who's on first. Mm -hmm. And I played with that and said, well, who really is on first and what may be on second, <laughs> right? But we got what on first and we don't get the who. <laughs> so, you know, do a whole Abbott and Costello routine around that as well. And uh, Julia Freeland Fisher, who's been doing a lot of work around strong and loose ties and this work uh, in the research of who know who you know is yeah. important. Uh, and we've been doing that work. So she, you know, holds us up uh, along with others around example. Ex exemplars about what this could wow. look like you know i um like who you know <laughs> matters because knowing you has helped me so much because i've been trying to transform education and get them to see that the system is a problem but you know it's, it's really nice that you're still doing all this work it's amazing well you know look at the, the language the system is providing a service but when you, through content, but when you transform somebody, they get transformed through an experience. Yeah. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. And you need the experience to get to the content, to bring something to a page. Yeah. Um, and to bring something to a conversation. You, and then there's a give and take around both. Yeah. But you have to have that, you have to have the do, not just the know. Yeah. Or else you're swimming in a sea of, of thoughts and you, it, just doesn't touch the ground. Well, it goes over their head and then they're bored and then they're, they're not engaged anymore and we lose them. And and then we have teachers that can't, that are kind of running around <laughs> and trying, trying to figure out why they're bored and engaged. What am I doing? You know, it's like everyone needs to see and read, do book studies around your book. They really need it. And they also need you to do your keynotes and do all of that. I just, I've listened to you. And um, like I said, I really care about you a lot, and I think we all need to uh, start having these conversations all over. Absolutely. All over. The teachers with the best of intentions are, are trapped in a system that won't let them be who they really want to be. Yeah, and we and, need yeah. And be we unbound them, be unbound. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, these, these are really important um pieces to and you know you you we run it we both run into teachers all over 
who are trapped and they they want to they want to work with students around their interests and and with their content but they have to connect the content to the students yeah they don't have the opportunity to do that they're just delivering content like we've had chatbot without chatbot for years because we're pretending like we're acting like machines instead of human beings yeah we need to get that and you the kids care if i mean if the teacher's there and the teacher is able to really get to know the kids and the kids know that that the teacher cares about them and there's no time it's that whole thing with time and everything but on that note i i'm running out of time and i'm really upset because I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you, anybody about this work and actually you really, really get people to um, move their practice um, to, to focus on who the child student is an adult, young adult in front of you um, and how to connect them to their interests with adults and engage them so they want to learn and they want to learn the things that are important as well to schools. Yeah, literacy and numeracy are very important, but in a context Mm -hmm. to who the young person is. So my audience needs to get in touch with you. What's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, anybody, I'm E. W-A-S-H-O-R at gmail.com. And my phone number is 401-374-4664. Right? Yeah. Write or call or text. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll respond. Uh, I respond, talk to anybody and everybody. Well, call him up now because he's great. <laughs> Get him on your yeah, show no, and... Make sure that you read his book, Leaving, Learning to Leave, and uh, follow his work because, Elliot, you're, you're really um, doing so much, and it's, it's wonderful. I feel so honored. And I'd love to hear from people who are doing wonderful stuff out there around this um, because we all need to contribute to one another's work. It's real important. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning podcast and my conversation with Elliot Washer. Elliot shared about his work at Big Picture Learning, his books, Leaving to Learn and Learning to Leave, his new one you have to read, Be Unbound, this new program that is amazing, and so much more. I loved our talk on my virtual porch, and I could have talked with Elliot for hours So make sure you check out the blog post that goes with this podcast on barbarabray.net so you can access the resources and links Elliot shared with you. You know, it would be awesome if you could subscribe to my podcast. I'd be really grateful if you wrote a review. Thanks again for listening. Keep sharing your story and please stay safe and be well.